everyone, and welcome to Deepening Community Podcast. My name is Heather Keen. And I'm Glenda Cooper. And we make up the city's Deepening Community team at Tamarack Institute. For the last five years, we've been working on building the momentum for cities and towns to deepen community. Complex challenges facing communities require deep community. The process of deepening community is about encouraging and supporting citizens to form the trust and connections necessary to create and sustain vibrant, inclusive neighborhoods. It's about harnessing the inherent assets. Remember a conversation with Sylvia Chewy, and she said, by strengthening the social fabric of our neighborhoods and ensuring that neighbors come to know each other, neighbors will have an improved ability to take action, problem solve, and seize new opportunities. And it is thus about finding ways to engage citizens so they feel compelled to help their neighbors and strengthen their community. And there's so many thought leaders out there, Glenda, um, that have been researching this very topic. One of the examples is Paul Bourne's book, uh, Deepening Community. And in that book, he states that we live in community. We need one another. Community has the capacity to improve our physical, mental, and economic health, as well as our overall sense of happiness and fulfillment. It has the power to unite us in a common bond as we work together for a better world. Yeah, and it's so interesting when we kind of juxtapose Paul's book with what Robert Putnam has been saying in his book, Bowling Alone, around, you know, our community is changing. We used to gather, we used to be part of associations, bowling leagues, we used to come together, and now being bowling alone, it's less about the bowling league, and if you feel like going bowling, you go and you do it on your own. And it just how we become so separate and so individualistic in our community. So it's so interesting to have that that other lens to look at this through that while we're falling apart we still need to be looking at community and uh john mcknight and peter block's book abundant community i think dives into the the why or the how this has happened and the book reminds us that neighborhoods can raise children provide security sustain our health secure income and care for vulnerable people instead of buying or purchasing or having institutions and organizations do it for us. And in the book, he defines community as people in relationships. Yeah. When I hear about relationships, I just, I can't help but think about Meg Wheatley. I just, I turn to her often. I turn to her uh, book, Turning to One Another, as it's called, a lot. And it's really all about relationships. And she says, you know, relationships are all there is. Everything in the universe only exists because it is in relationship to everything else. Nothing exists in isolation. We have to stop pretending that we are individuals that can go it alone. I just think that that is so critical that it is all about the relationships with the people that we live beside and that we're in community with. That's how, that's how we're really going to get by. And you, you talked about Peter Block's book and what, what, you just said it before this podcast. What, what was it about Peter Block's book again? So I just really enjoy him as well. And he looks more at like, how do we look at local government and what is their role in all of this? And you know, he sees local government as being responsible, not just for that capital infrastructure, right? Like we're used to seeing buildings and roads, but it's also about building the social fabric of the community. He's just so adamant that this role is critical because it's like the sustainable changes that we want to see in our community. Those are the ones that occur locally on a small scale. They happen slowly 
and they are initiated at a grassroots level. So how do we help our communities build strong relationships within and among each other? So, you know, what's really exciting is that as we hear through all of these thought leaders, that it's not just a one sector, a one person, uh, a one system that helps build community. And in the Abundant Community book, actually the asset-based community development whole framework is that it starts with the individual and the gifts and the assets, but then it's that kind of the ecosystem of community and ha- and the roles we play. And so the individual has a role to play in the community as long also as the groups and associations that form in our community that also support the institutions and organizations to help our building our community. And then you've got the municipality that helps support the infrastructure and the, the building of it, but they all are intertwined and they all need to be involved in building a community. Yeah, 100%. I think it's so interesting that we have these thought leaders who are speaking about this and and really directing the ship around this and also reminding us, one, that we're not in it alone, but we each have a part to play in this. And it's so critical. But the relationships are two-way. They don't just go one way in this. I think that that is really important, that It is about us, each of us walks away with something that we need to do personally and professionally in all of our worlds. So I think to me, that's what really puts that back to me. What do I need to do in my role and as a human and as a professional? And so we have these thought leaders who are who are giving us the the how and and the foundations that we need to do this. But we need some evidence. We need to say, is do people want this? Are people in community? And in doing this work at Cities Deepening Community for the past five years, there's been some great evidence that have come out from different organizations and groups across Canada. And the most recent one was the community, the Vancouver Foundation report. Well, yeah, so that was, it's one that they've been kind of building on. They actually started back early, like 2010, and then they released a report in 2012 on connections and engagement. And so for me, it was really formative in this work in and around neighbors are important. They went out and they talked to leaders all across uh, Metro Vancouver. They asked, you know, what is the number one issue that you would see, like the number one social issue that you're concerned about? And they thought it would be poverty or food insecurity or homelessness or any of those other big wicked problems. And what it came back was the sense of belonging and how people are not feeling like they belong in their community. And so their report, they, they decided to dig deep into that work. And they found that this lack of belonging was also leading to a decrease in the quality of life. I found that people, even though it was such a dense area, people were finding it hard to make friends in Metro Vancouver. And that even if they were able to make connections, they were often weak, but they weren't deep. They weren't people that you were gonna call up and say, hey, I really need help. How do you move from there? How do you dig in? How do you grow? And, And how do you convince, one of the most astounding things out of that study for me was that people wanted to connect. They wanted to connect so much they wanted to know their neighbors they wanted to be involved in their community and one of the things that held them back was thinking that they had nothing to offer to their community people were closing themselves in because they didn't think they had anything to offer and to me that was heart-wrenching 
and so important for us to pay attention to because people want to belong, they want to give back, and yet they're stopped by this artificial sense of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I can give to my community. And you know what's, what's exciting is that last year, Angus Reid sent out a report because they surveyed the people across Canada did a, a report on the, the portrait of isolation and loneliness in Canada. And I think the results from that actually reinforce the results from the Vancouver Foundation. Yeah, it's interesting that we're starting to see this as a, like a trend that's not going away, that we're going to have to be really purposeful around. Because that report that Angus Reid did, they looked at social isolation and loneliness. Because social isolation, not everybody who is socially isolated is lonely. And not everybody who is lonely is socially isolated. Mm. And so they really did some digging deep and they, they found these different categories, right? People who were both socially isolated and lonely talk about a risk factor, but 23% of Canadians were identifying as being in that group that they called the desolate group. And then there was people who were lonely, but they weren't isolated. So they were living with roommates. They might've been living with a partner. They felt like they had people around, but they still felt lonely. And that was, that was another big proportion. And then there were others who were like, I'm good. I'm living on my own. I like it this way. I feel like I'm isolated and it's by choice. And I'm happy this way. And then there are people who are kind of like somewhere in between. Like I got, I'm living with people. I kind of feel okay. And then there's this whole, this, there's this group of people who are saying that, you know what, I am connected. I don't feel lonely. I don't feel socially isolated. I am connected. I feel like I belong in these places. And that's 22% of the folks that responded. But that's 22% of people in Canada. So that's great that we have these people who are connected and engaged. But to me, I just can't help but do the math. Like, that means that there's 78% of people in Canada who are lonelier or more socially isolated than they want to be. And that just blows my mind. And it really calls attention to the fact that we need to be paying attention to loneliness and social isolation. And I know, Heather, and I'm going to toss this back to you because you've been doing some work around, like, what does that mean for our overall health? It, it's funny because the, the Angus Reid report goes across Canada and then right around the same time, the Chief Medical Officer of Health for Ontario released a report that there's growing evidence of loneliness and socialization and how it affects our health. So in that report, it says six out of 10 residents say that they have a very or somewhat strong sense of community. Only four out of 10 know many or most of their neighbors. So you got, you know, you can see that the numbers are kind of going down in terms of the deep connections that people are having. Um, and then six out of 10 residents have confidence in local business, justice, school systems, and there is a increased risk of death. So the more lonely and isolated you are, the, the increased risk you have of death or even effects on your mind, body, and soul. The research is saying that social isolation and loneliness has the same sort of risk factors and effects on your body as smoking and diabetes. And so they're now really diving into that whole health aspects of social isolation. 
And then in the report, and this is where I find really fascinating, is that they did a, uh, they looked at the community structure. And this is something that I think we, we also need to pay attention to when we're looking at community in that the, there's a change in family and social structures. Families are smaller. So beforehand, they used to have 9, 10, 15 children. And then that was a big social network. Now we're having one, two or three children. That's a very, very small network. And the families that were large, they, they almost dominated a whole block. And the houses and they lived near each other and was able to see each other but the the families are more spread out you know there could be out in in bc and he, i live in ontario and how do we connect that way and have that deep connection especially if there's an emergency or or a pandemic in that you know i can't help my parents that are living far away so i have to rely on other systems and structures to support them Another change is in the, the work time and pressures. So there's not a nine to five or eight to four job anymore. There's two, two incomes. Both parents are working and there's multiple part-time jobs, less stability. And so the work and, and time pressures have changed in our family life. It costs more to be socially connected. And so I do remember growing up and doing game nights and having um, friends and family over to do game night. And now it's you, you go to the movies and you buy the games and you do it online and you go rock climbing and that costs $25. You go do this and that costs instead of doing things at home and in your backyard. And I think it just alerted to this is about the technology piece. So again, games used to be face-to-face face. We get around the table, we play board games. Cupboards were full of board games. I know right now my cupboard is full of video games. And I had this fight with, with my oldest son in that he wants to play with his friends with a video game online. And he's saying, well, those are my friends that are online. I'm like, do you, have you met them before? Well, no, but we all play and it's fun. And so technology has kind of engineered the face-to-face -face socialization out of our of our lives and you know we just play online and then I think you were talking about the municipality and fostering attachment well it's just it's so interesting because one of the things around this change in community structure is that pe people spend more time in cars and actually we have designed our cities and the way that we live around cars and how cars are going to travel easily from place to place because we know we've got these long distances to cover. But if we really want to foster attachment, which is the key to getting people engaged and connected in their community, we have to think about how we're getting people connected right where they live. How are we making transportation walkable? How are we making our cities livable in that way so there's alternate transportation options for folks? Like I often think back to Jane Jacobs and how she was just... You know, she was scathing about modern city planning and just saying, you know, like the place is important. Yes, we need to have great infrastructure. That's important. But it's about the people and how they're interacting with the places and how they're really connecting in and within. Because if people are making a place come alive, then more people are going to come out. And then that's where we're going to have that connection. And that's where we're going to start to be able to look out for each other. That's where we're going to learn about how we can support one another. And it's interesting and it's, I know I always go into this piece around municipalities need to pay attention to this. Municipalities need to pay attention because, you know, they're, they've got so much. Municipalities right now have been like so much pressure on them. They've been downloaded from the federal government and the provincial government. They have so much going on, but there's like, how are they going to get those fees back through taxes, through some user fees, through parking fines? 
you're not going to be able to cover all of the costs for all of the things that are kind of being downloaded. And so the place to go is to build incredible social fabric so that residents are able to look after one another. And, you know, I am just so grateful for the study that um, the Knight Foundation did a while back in 2010, because even then they were talking about this and realizing that, you know, cities with the highest level of attachment, which then fosters that connection and engagement, those are the ones with the highest rate of GDP growth. And so that's something to pay attention to. The more livable our cities are, the more people are able to walk, the more they're able to be out and about, the better it is for our city and for our economic well-being at the end of the day as well. You know, it you just made me think about municipalities and the role. So we talked about John McKnight and their Abundant Community book and the role of individuals. The role of municipalities has changed to be a, a service-centered where municipalities are to service the citizens and the residents. And so what used to be building your own community and, and knowing what's what you want in your community has been transferred over to municipalities. And we sit back and we want the municipalities, the cities to do for us. And there's two two cities that come to mind is the city of Kitchener and the city of Edmonton, where they're realizing that, they, that this is not a sustainable model. We can't keep servicing uh, neighborhoods and servicing what neighborhoods can do for themselves and looking at how do we support community and not do for the community. And so it's been interesting to watch them over the last few years on how they've developed their neighborhood strategy and how they're going about supporting community in the work that needs to happen at the neighborhood level. And this maybe takes us to our next conversation about this podcast channel that we're introducing and you know we're hoping that we can do some podcasts on some of those innovative ideas some of the solutions maybe diving deeper into some of these topics that we just talked about and the research that's out there so that we can support uh, communities organizations institutions uh, government in building awesome livable cool neighborhoods this actually you know this comes to back to a webinar we did with the Vancouver Foundation. And there was a quote that, that Lydia said is like, deepening community is the challenge and also the solution. I know it, it resonate that quote resonated for you and for me. It's just, it's so important. Deepening community is the challenge and also the solution. You know, it's those shallow experiences of community that we have that tend to be driving the problem. And yet we're hoping through this podcast and that you'll find on this challenge, the way that we can deepen community, how we can go deeper, how we can, we're hoping that we're going to be able to talk about and share the stories and the different ways that cities and towns and communities are actually doing this. They're actually going out and deepening community. I'm so excited for the ways that we're going to be able to do this. And I know that topics are going to continue to emerge as we see the great things that cities and towns are doing. But one of the things that and you've heard me talk about and how excited I get around this topic, but I know that one of the things we're going to need to look at is emergency preparedness. And then that, what do we do in the middle of it? And then how do we recover together? But how can we do that as a community and use that as an opportunity to really deepen community and let it be driven by community? Because just like you said, right, local governments can't do everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What can we do? How do we look after each other in these moments of emergency? And actually, we're really good at it. But how do we harness that? 
how do we plan for that? And how do we do that better? And yeah, and so this brings some ideas of, you know, maybe some podcasts on city planning because um, the Vancouver Foundation in, in their, their survey, they asked municipal leaders, you know, what's, what's important issues that are facing your region and the issues are around community residents, like the decrease in participation in community from their, their residents, the fact that residents are retreating from community life and the lack of connection. And so that would be a really, really great podcast to talk about. And maybe it's a couple podcasts to talk about the, the municipal role in building community. But another one is that social capital, and that's the asset-based community development. And how do we use the social capital that comes from emergencies? And, you know, we, we rally together, whether it's a fire or a flood or a pandemic, and we rally together and you have all these random acts of kindness that come out, that's social capital. And so how do we harness that and bring it all together? And I have already alluded to neighborhood strategies or neighborhood plans. And, you know, whether it's a neighborhood coming up with theirs or a big city-wide neighborhood plan, but how do we organize ourselves so that we can plan for the future? Yeah, and I think, you know, just going back to that social capital and that, those connections and, and really looking at some of what Robert Putnam's work was around, you know, all of those things are important because they affect citizenship and democracy and our willingness to get involved and to, to affect change at that local level. And so how do we use what we're learning around the social capital and social and neighborhood involvement and you know how do we build that capacity again we've lost that we've lost that some of those abilities so how do we build that capacity and that concern and that willingness to solve problems what are the some of the catalysts for that and so i think that that would be a really interesting podcast and then um again even just how do we build social connections it's actually a skill that we seem to have lost so how do we how do we build that and why and what's important and what are the kinds of social connections we should be looking for in a thriving community? Anyway, we could go on and on because yeah. that's what we do. I think we've, we've proved a point. I think we proved a point in that there's a lot of thought leaders out there, a lot of reasons why we, we need to build community and deepen it. There's a lot of evidence, research, and data out there to say we do it. And this podcast series is going to be about okay, the, the now what. Um, now, what can we do about it and how can we build neighborhoods? And so we are hoping to invest in our cities and our towns so that they can build the you know, social well-being of their citizens, their residents who live, work and play in their communities. And let's build a belonging, connected residents who are involved in citizen life communities. And so stay tuned for lots more of these podcasts. No, and I want to just throw in a plug. I'm so excited. Like, just keep coming back to our channel because not only will you get to hear from Heather and I, but we're going to be talking to people, to some of the thought leaders in this area, to people who are really doing this work on the ground in communities. So you get to hear from us now, but I'm so excited to really be learning alongside all of you as we talk to some of the people leading the work in this field. To learn more about Cities Deepening Community or any of the resources actually that we talked about in this podcast and future podcasts, go to tamrackcommunity.ca.